Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a monthly podcast for everyone who's interested in how our minds work, building resilience through journaling and all things therapy. I'm your host, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse and CBT therapist with over 20 years of experience in the field of mental health. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. I do hope this episode finds you well. I'd like to start by saying a huge thank you for all the lovely messages about the last episode, episode 43 with Professor Paul Gilbert. I just can't believe how popular it's been. It's obviously an area people are really interested in. And I'd love to do more in the area of compassion-focused therapy, compassionate mind training, helping people to develop more self-compassion generally. So do email me or DM me any questions or any areas that you'd like to know more about and I'll be sure to get on it or get another exciting guest in. It was really a huge honour to be able to interview Professor Paul Gilbert. I'm also trying to theme my content a little bit more at the moment, which any of you who follow me over on Instagram might have noticed. So last month I shared lots of content relating specifically to the podcast. So lots of books, journal prompts, additional um, advice and tips around developing more self-compassion and this month I'll be on the release of this podcast I'll be doing lots more around panic attacks and anxiety managing it books that I highly recommend and other journal prompts so you can check this out at Sarah D Reese over on Instagram. So in this episode I'm going to be focusing on how you can manage panic attacks. Why? Because they are just so common and they are terrifying when they happen to you, but also when you see someone else having a panic attack. So my aim is to help you understand what's going on, help you understand what you can do to manage them using the framework of cognitive behavioural therapy, because CBT has the best evidence base for treating panic And I'm going to help you understand that they are really treatable and we don't need to struggle with panic attacks. Of course, everybody is very individual and what works for one person might not work for another. But I hope that I give enough of an overview for you to be able to take more of an understanding and insight into how how to manage panic attacks. If you are struggling with panic attacks, make sure that your first step is to go and see your general practitioner. And just have a really good health check, physical health check, get your bloods done, have a chat with your GP. This is always a really good starting point because sometimes there can be something physically going on. So once this is kind of ruled out, then it's kind of the focus needs to be on psychological treatment. And that's where CBT comes in or cognitive behavioural therapy. I'm a C- an accredited CBT therapist and I've done other podcasts on helping people understand what CBT is. But in brief, our thoughts impact how we feel and what we do and create the worlds we live. Um, So CBT is all about understanding the patterns of thoughts, feelings and behaviours. And in panic attacks, that's no different. But before I start, I just want to give a little warning. If you are really avoiding anxiety and panic, some may have already decided not to listen to this episode and that it's not the right podcast for them at this moment. However, if you're dipping your toe into understanding panic more, you could find that just listening to me talk about panic attacks and anxiety actually makes you feel anxious. 
this isn't a bad thing and it happens in therapy sessions all the time. It just means that there's been high levels of avoidance around anything to do with panic and anxiety. So you have labelled it as a threat. And when we go towards our threats, our threat system can ramp up a little bit, telling us, what are you doing? This is the very thing that you generally avoid. Um, so it wants you to avoid talking about anxiety and coming to therapy to talk about panic attacks is often the first step in starting to approach your anxiety and doing something different with it. But talking about anxiety can make us feel anxious, but it's a really positive step. I'm going to start this episode by explaining the difference between panic and anxiety. So the main difference between panic and anxiety is best described in terms of the intensity of the symptoms and the length of time the main symptoms occur. Panic attacks usually peak at around 10 minutes and are characterised by a sudden surge of intense fear or discomfort that reaches the peak within seconds to minutes. People often have a catastrophic thought like, I'm going to faint, I'm going to have a heart attack, or I'm going to go mad and it won't stop. While with anxiety, you can experience many of the same symptoms as a panic attack, but you're not always having the sudden surge of physical sensations and catastrophic thoughts about that moment. Anxiety also can last for many months and really fluctuate day to day. I'm just going to talk through some of the symptoms that people experience when they have panic attacks. And if you're having panic attacks, this can be a little bit of a triggering point. Just hearing some of these words can kind of create some of the sensations in your body. And don't forget, this is a, it's a really positive step. It's kind of going towards your fear. That's what you're doing. So if you start to feel a bit anxious, just notice that. And just stay with the feelings, just allow it, don't do anything to change it. Understanding panic attacks is really the first step to taking control and starting to manage them. So some of the symptoms involved in panic attacks are palpitations, which is a pounding heart, sweating, trembling, shaking, feeling hot having shortness of breath or feeling like you're choking. Some people experience chest pain and discomfort in that area as the muscles around your chest start to tighten. Some people can feel sick, need the toilet, feel dizzy, lightheaded or faint. And this is as the blood rushes to the muscles so that you're ready to fight and flight. So different, some people go cold, some people go really hot. Some people can feel the adrenaline kind of really flow through the body. Some people experience tingling in their toes or in their fingers or different parts of their body. And some people can get a sense of derealization, which is a feeling of unreality or depersonalization, which is kind of being detached from yourself. So some people, if you get too anxious, your brain is really helpful in that it creates a sensation of like you're in a movie or things around you don't feel that real. And that can feel quite strange, but that's your brain working really well. So often when you're having a panic attack, you misinterpret the symptoms that you're having to something catastrophic, like I'm going mad, I'm going to faint, or I'm going to die, which is why lots of people can call it an ambulance when they're having a panic attack because it really feels absolutely life-threatening in that moment. High anxiety involves all of those symptoms that I've just mentioned but is ongoing so you don't have the sudden uh, surge 
and the high intensity. Although, if you have anxiety, you are more vulnerable to having panic attacks. So having general anxiety day to day sometimes can result in panic attacks because you're more vulnerable to it. But let's look a bit deeper into why we have panic attacks. There's no single clear answer to this question, but based on my clinical experience, these are the most common reasons why people have panic attacks. Firstly, a scary situation. Any of us that are in a scary enough situation will have a panic attack. So some of those might be kind of getting stuck in a lift, heights, finding yourself lost or feeling trapped in a situation. Once your threat system has been triggered, your body releases the hormone cortisol and adrenaline, creating a perfect storm for a panic attack. So that's what's going on physically. But then once your mind gets involved with those catastrophic thoughts, it just supercharges the physical sensations. Some people have an overactive or sensitive threat system, and that can be because of lots of stresses in your life. This is the threat system is in the part of your brain called the amygdala, and that's your threat system. And the, one of its role is the expression of fear and the processing of fear inducing stimuli. So if you're experiencing a sustained period of stress or anxiety, it's likely that the amygdala is like taking the amygdala to the gym on a regular basis. It gets toned up as a muscle. So it gets really good at spotting threats and reacting to them. Common experiences that we can have that lead to a sensitive threat system are things such as traumas, bereavements, life transitions such as redundancy or divorce financial worries or experiencing long-term stress or anxiety in any form such as a global pandemic which we've all been through recently collectively and the Iraqi war that's you know that's a huge trauma. Catastrophic thinking can be defined as ruminating about irrational and worst case outcomes. Anxiety is a normal reaction to catastrophic thinking but it can get so severe that panic attacks can begin to occur. So if you're prone to catastrophic thinking and worst case scenario planning or constantly imagining what's the worst that could happen, you could become more vulnerable to having panic attacks. The misinterpretation of some anxiety symptoms can lead to panic attacks. For example, thinking a heart palpitation is the start of a heart attack that will supercharge the anxiety and make it more likely for you to have a panic attack. We are built to give meaning to our physical symptoms. So if there's no obvious trigger, your mind will come up with something. So if you're having a heart palpitation and you're not on a treadmill or you're not out jogging, it just comes out of the blue, you might think that you might not put it down to, well, I've been under a lot of strain and stress for a long time you might think, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. Then that thought increases that physical sensation. So if you're in an anxious state, it's more natural to come up with anxious conclusions because of how anxiety organises our mind to be more threat focused. And this will naturally increase anxieties and higher anxiety levels can trigger panic attacks. Having underlying health worries Experiencing ill health can make you more in tune with your body. 
the feelings and sensations you physically experience day to day may have previously gone ignored, but begin to trigger your threat system because you're just tuning in more to your body. So as you become more in tune with your internal experience, you may notice more and more feelings and sensations, and this can result in anxiety if you're giving them anxious meanings and lead to panic attacks. Previous panic attacks can make you more vulnerable to having other panic attacks. Panic attacks are so frightening that people often develop a fear of having another one. When this happens, your mind tunes into any symptoms of anxiety the body experiences and sends sends a warning to the brain that another attack might be on its way. This can lead to a constant feeling of anxiety and panic attacks can become more frequent. People report feeling as if they are constantly checking or monitoring themselves, making sure that, that there's not another panic attack on the horizon. There are things that can make us more vulnerable to panic attacks, such as alcohol, lack of support in our community, feeling isolated, stress, high levels of caffeine. For some people, even just one or two cups of caffeine a day can really just increase your anxiety. Overworking, depression, pregnancy, hormonal changes like the menopause can all increase the likelihood of experiencing panic attacks. Most of us will experience at least one panic attack in our lives at some point or another, but some people will continue to have them. Generally, this is to do with how we respond to the first panic attack we ever have and how we make sense of it. So if I have a panic attack and think I almost died, then I won't want to have another one. And therein lies the problem. If you don't want panic attacks, you become really hypervigilant for looking out for them. Avoiding any dangers, monitoring and checking for anxiety symptoms and any sign of a panic attack makes you panic. When somebody is struggling with panic attacks, the most common goal they have when they come to therapy is to never experience any anxiety or any feelings of panic ever again. But this isn't possible. We are human and we need anxiety. We need our threat systems. It's an important part of who we are. But with CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, that's the route you go down, you'll begin to understand why anxiety is an important part of us. And instead of eradicating it, we need to learn to work with it differently, increase our tolerance to the physical symptoms so that we can experience anxiety differently and work with panic differently. Panic attacks are so frightening and intense, but they are really not dangerous. Panic attack is not nice, but it won't cause you any physical harm. And the more you resist the experience of panic, the worse the panic attacks will become and the more frequent. Here are some tips to help you learn to manage a panic attack. Because I'm sure if you're listening to this, if you're struggling with panic attacks, you know, you really want me to say, do this and you'll ha- never have another one again. The last thing I know you'll want me to talk about is kind of building tolerance to them. But really, this CBT really works. And most people that come for therapy for panic attacks end up having panic attacks a lot less frequently. They go completely. Or when they do have them, they just don't cause the intense fear because they've corrected a lot of thinking around them and they've learned to tolerate the physical experience. So the first step is always to get more awareness about 
what's going on for you. So really breaking down the process, which is difficult to do when you're actually in a panic attack. But when you've had a panic attack, as quickly as possible afterwards, or even in that moment, if you can, try and start noticing what your thoughts you were having just before. What were your triggers? What were the physical symptoms? How did it play out in your body? And what did you do to cope or keep yourself safe during the panic attacks? This is the first step towards developing your individual approach to treating panic attacks. In CBT treatment, you are supported to develop more cognitive flexibility. Cognitive just means thoughts. And so flexibility is about getting your thoughts more flexible. Because don't forget that when you're anxious, anxiety organises your mind to be more anxious. So, for example, instead of catastrophizing your physical symptoms, with CBT, you'll have a more factual understanding of them. And this involves an element of education around what is happening physically and mentally. Our thinking is distorted when we're anxious. So we're having more anxious thoughts. In that moment, you feel might feel like you were dying. But the next day, when you're calmer, you'll be able to say it was anxiety that was fueling your thinking. Some of the common fears that people have in panic are as follows. I'll faint, for example. That's a really common one. And that is often to do with when you start to panic, um, your blood pressure drops just a little bit as the blood rushes to your muscles so that you get ready to fight and flight. But it's actually very difficult to faint when you're anxious because you have higher blood pressure. And fainting is about having low blood pressure. So your blood is like pumping around your body really quickly. Your body's working really effectively. So you really can't faint when you're anxious. There are one or two conditions such as blood injury phobia. Some people who see blood faint and something very different is going on physically here in that it's a very primal response that sometimes our all our capillaries shut down and actually blood pressure drops for some people not everybody it's an old evolutionary response that if we think we're going to lose blood our blood pressure drops so we lose less blood so that's all about our survival and some people um, have a vagus nerve response which means the blood pressure drops but these are so rare generally if you're anxious your blood is pumping around your body you're not going to faint some people have the thought, it will, this is never going to stop. But actually, panic is like a wave. It goes up and then it comes down. And I've worked in mental health 25 years and I've never seen anyone in a locked state of panic. I've worked on hospital wards in lots of different environments. And I can categorically say that panic and anxiety increases and then comes down. It's like a wave it always settles. We just couldn't maintain kind of being that anxious. You'd get burnt out. The other thing people worry about is I'm going to die because it feels so overwhelming. But people don't die with panic attacks. It's your, norm, your body's normal response to fear and extreme fear. Our hearts pound, we sweat, we get feeling of adrenaline rushing through our body. But it's the meaning generally that you are giving the symptoms that's the problem. I'll often have the conversation with clients about the physical experiences they have when they are 
exercising on a treadmill, for example. Our bodies are doing the same thing as when we're panicking, but when we're on a treadmill, you're giving those feelings the meaning of exercise, oh, am I doing a good job? So it doesn't add to anxiety, you're not giving it an anxious meaning and the symptoms don't increase. So it's only when we experience anxiety out of context and sometimes that we get panic. So when you explore what your physical sensations are, write down a list of everything you experience when you have a panic attack and just write next to them, you know, what is a more logical way of looking at this? What is going on in your body physiologically? And this can help you kind of understand what's going on. And instead of giving it a catastrophic thought, you kind of normalize the response. And it takes a while, but over time, what will happen is you have a panic attack and you can kind of go, oh, my heart's pounding because it's pumping the blood around my body really quickly. And that's a really positive thing because it thinks I'm in danger. But our threat systems, it's kind of like an outdated part of our brain. It's an old part of our brain. And sometimes our threat systems go off and it's not accurate. It's a little bit like, do you remember the old smoke alarms that used to go off in our houses every time we almost burnt the toast, a little bit of smoke and smoke alarms used to go off? We wouldn't naturally run for the hills and run out of the house screaming every time the smoke alarm went off. We'd go in and we'd have a look and think, what's going on here? We'd get more curious, we'd approach the danger and then you get more accurate information. That's kind of what you need to do with panic attacks. Sometimes our threat systems go off for one reason or another. And we start to have a panic and we need to approach and kind of get a bit more curious about the experience and think what is actually going on. Look at the symptoms and think, is there another, another way of looking at this? So really working on improving cognitive flexibility. Next time you're feeling anxious, if you stepped into being more accepting of the experiences, maybe name it as anxiety, because when we name the, our, our emotional state, it settles down. And tell yourself your body is reacting normally to a fear. It might have got the fear wrong. There might not be a fear, but it, at this moment, the old part of your brain thinks there's a danger. It might not be accurate. Sometimes this is really, really helpful for people, that kind of being more accepting. Of course, I know if it was that easy, you would have done it already. And that's where CBT comes in. CBT will help you learn how to tolerate unpleasant physical symptoms so they don't distress you as much. You learn the best coping style for when a panic attack happens because how we naturally respond to panic often contributes further to the symptoms. With CBT, you learn to meet panic attacks with more, more curiosity so you can assess if there's actually a danger or not. You learn to allow yourself to roll with the experience, be more accepting of the experience, and that what you resist persists. Trying to fight panic actually exacerbates the symptoms. And generally, the more you try and resist panic attacks, the more you fight it, you're increasing that threat system and you're adding to the uncomfortable sensations of panic. Another key element of cognitive behavioral therapy is that you are supported to go towards the triggers of your panic attack. So, I mentioned before about. If you're doing this at home, working out what the triggers are, writing them down, 
And if you worked with a CBT therapist, we'd look at those triggers and we'd get you to start going towards them in quite a graded way. And this is called exposure therapy, exposure response prevention. This is exposure to your fear without your normal response, which is to get the hell out of there. That's what we tend to do. We tend to go into fight and flight when we're anxious or we're going to have a panic attack. You do this, obviously, with a lot of planning and a lot of support with your therapist. But the goal is to retrain your anxious brain. You'll learn that the triggers that have been causing you to panic, such as going into shops, being in lifts, being in crowds, public speaking, enclosed spaces, heights, are not actually dangerous. You might logically know this, but you need to train the limbic part of your brain, which is that old part of your brain, which isn't as well informed as your logical brain. When you kind of put yourself in these situations that you've been avoiding just in that very act you're starting to tell your brain that this isn't that dangerous otherwise why would I be going into it and when you keep going into difficult situations that you might have previously been avoiding in a graded way you don't get overwhelmed so you don't get the panic attacks and you learn that these places are not actually dangerous. I want to run through now some more information about panic attacks and look at some other myths as well. One of the things that lots of people do is when they start to feel anxious or they um, think they might be having a panic attack is alter their breathing. Don't alter your breathing. Our bodies are naturally taking care of our oxygen input and output all the time. And if we alter this for any reason, especially when we're anxious or having a panic attack, we can cause what's called hyperventilation, which can trigger or extend a panic attack. It's common to advise people to sit down, take some deep breaths, but it's really important with panic attacks that you just trust your body and let it breathe for you. It does a good job when you're sleeping and you're not kind of putting much focus on it then. So don't overthink your breathing, just allow it to be. So in day to day, I do a lot of breath work. It's really good for kind of regulating stress levels. But if I was panicking, because naturally when you start to panic, your body takes in a lot more oxygen straight away. So you don't want to add to that in panic attacks. So it's different from kind of managing day to day stress. So just don't focus on your breathing. Just let it be. Try and ground yourself in the moment. Using your senses is a great way to do this. Try listing five things that you can see, hear, touch or smell. This is really kind of staying in the situation, grounding yourself in the moment, helping you to accept the experience of a panic attack. Try and relax your body posture. Just kind of lower your shoulders, stand up, have a good posture. This tells your brain that you are safe. So generally, when we're anxious or we're scared, we hunch over and we kind of almost protect our body. And that gives messages to your brain that you're in danger. So shifting your body posture is telling your brain, actually, there's no danger here. And it's, you know, there's not one quick fix. It's everything that you do is going to help. So working with your thoughts, working with triggers differently, understanding the physical sensations. There's not one magic wand. I wish there was. It's kind of taking quite a holistic approach in working in a number of different areas. But we'll have outstanding results and you can absolutely 
stop having panic attacks, definitely. Also, it's important to think about how your life is generally. Do you have space for downtime and relaxing? Some of us are so hectic, there's no space for calm in our lives, which means that we're just used to living with high levels of anxiety, which means that you can tip into having panic attacks really quite quickly. So that's one of the first things I do with clients is kind of ask them about how their lives are. And if anxiety and panic's a problem, it's kind of, you have to train that soothing system up sometimes, the ability to be able to relax or have a bath and calm down. Your body can get out of the habit of doing it. A really common question that I get asked a lot in therapy is, why do I have a panic attack in the middle of the night? Because there's no trigger. You're fast asleep and some people wake up with a panic attack. It's a really common question and it's to do with how in tune we get with our bodies. Because people with anxiety are really in tune with their body. There was some research done where they asked a lot, a few hundred people about how often their heart beats in a minute. Um, most people have no idea. They asked people that had had heart problems, anxiety, and people with panic attacks. And people with panic attacks were actually quite accurate, which means just demonstrates how in tune. If you're having panic attacks, you can get really in tune with your physical sensations in your body. So your red flag physical sensations is dangerous, and your brain has this kind of monitoring system going on it's similar to when you know if um you're talking to somebody and you try and remember an actress's name you think god no i can't remember her name and then the next day it pops into your head so there's some kind of monitoring system that's going on and this carries on when we're asleep so if you kind of one of your triggers is your heart beating fast if this happens during the night which our heart Beat does change throughout a 24-hour period. It's not a steady rhythm. It's up and down depending on what we're doing. If we have a funny dream, that can send it a bit higher. If your brain knows to alert you to any signs of panic, it will wake you up in the middle of the night if one of those symptoms happen. And that's how people can have panic attacks in the night, in the middle of the night, when it seems like you should have actually no triggers at all. We've talked about not avoiding triggers, but it's worth going over it again. If you've had a panic attack in a supermarket, you will probably never want to go to that supermarket again because your brain has kind of labelled that as a dangerous place because something bad happened there. Really try to keep returning, even if it's just a short time. You know, just go in for 10 minutes and build yourself up using that graded approach so you can stay longer and longer unfortunately our brains learn danger a lot quicker than it learns safety because we are built for survival so you have one panic attack in the supermarket and it feels you get really anxious every time you go in there after that but if you keep going in over time that anxiety will definitely reduce make sure that you don't look out for distractions because this can feed into panic as you're telling your body you don't want to experience the panic feeling so some people use distraction from the physical sensations but remember we talked about one of the aims is to build tolerance to the feelings of panic and anxiety so you actually you know what I do with some people is get them to bring on some other feelings that 
they're avoiding. So if you really don't like the feeling of dizziness, some of my clients will spend a few minutes each day just spinning around, creating that feeling of dizziness to get used to it. Because the only way is to work with these sensations differently, to get to understand them and to get to tolerate them more. So distractions can really um, maintain anxiety and panic. The key thing is to really try and allow the feelings and ride them out. Remembering that panic is like a wave, it rises and then reduces. You need to learn how to tolerate the feelings and get used to them. Another technique is to try and lean into the feeling, really allow it. Ask yourself, can I make this worse? That might sound like such a counterintuitive thing, but how we are wired to manage anxiety actually tends to maintain it. It's the opposite we need to do. So we need to say to yourself, right, bring this on. Every time you feel anxiety and maybe the start of panic, this is an opportunity to get to understand it more, get used to the symptoms, notice where you feel it in your body and try and lean into it and see if you can make it worse. Just notice what happens. What you'll notice is the more you allow the feelings, the less you actually have them. The more you don't want to feel them, the more you will feel them. You know I'm a big fan of journaling and I think with panic attacks it can be so useful. Write down what you're experiencing when you're having a panic attack, what's going on in your body. The aim here is for you to stop your brain from misinterpreting the symptoms from something dangerous happening in your body to something more logical, which is your body is pumping blood around your body really fast, which is why you feel hot and you're getting dizzy. Really work at reappraising your symptoms. The last thing you might want to do is start journaling when you're having a panic attack, but it's really useful information to for your therapist if you go down that route or to really go over when you've calmed down. It also, it does give you a focus and something to do when you're having a panic attack. It can help you tolerate the feelings and stay with them. It's a lovely balance of engaging with the symptoms without it being a safety behaviour. When you go through the information, when you're calmer, you will learn more about your experience and then you can begin to challenge your thoughts and look at your coping strategies in a more positive way. Also, I really want you to think about how you're supporting yourself when you're having a panic attack. Are you beating yourself up? Are you criticising yourself? Are you adding another layer of pain? to what is already a really unpleasant situation. Some people, when they write down and journal what they're going through and how they're thinking when they're having a panic attack, is really fueling the anxiety. So saying, oh my God, it's going to get so bad. This is horrible. This is horrible. This is horrible. You really need to kind of be able to identify that and then shift it to something more positive. Lastly, let's touch on what we call safety behaviours in CBT. If we've feel like we're in a dangerous situation, we're going to do something to keep ourselves safe. For example, I've mentioned avoiding places where we've experienced previous panic attacks. The things you do to keep yourself safe from having a panic attack are called safety behaviours. In the short term, they can be really effective. So if I am worried about having a panic attack in the supermarket, I decide to shop online, that's really effective. My panic and anxiety goes away helpful in the short term but it maintains panic attacks in the long term and it becomes the safety behaviors often can become problems in the cell in themselves because for example your world can get smaller and smaller so what starts out as an initial solution 
becomes part of the problem. So the last points I want to make around panic attacks is for you to remember they are not harmful. You can't die from a panic attack and you're not going mad. You can't faint or collapse because your blood pressure is, is high and to faint you need low pressure. Panic attacks are terrifying but they are treatable and cognitive behavioural therapy has been found to be one of the most effective psychological therapies for panic attacks. So if you're struggling with panic there's so much out there you know and I'll be sharing lots on social media over the next month but first step is to see your GP have a good health check and discuss with them having CBT they might be able to recommend some really good starter books and things there's lots of self-help out there available the sooner you get support to manage panic attacks the easier they are to treat so if they've been going on for two months also consider getting help now rather than when if they've been going on for five years or 10 years because some of the ways we manage can just get a bit more ingrained so the sooner you get help the easier generally they are to treat I hope you found this episode helpful over the next month I'll be sharing more information about panic and journaling prompts and books that I've found useful and that my clients found useful I'll be sharing them on Instagram and in my Friday emails that I send out, which you can subscribe to by visiting my website, Sarah D. Reese, or follow me on Instagram. Let me know if you need me to explain anything further. My DMs are open and you can email me. And if you have the question, generally other people do as well. So it can be really good information to help me clarify things for other people as well. Thank you for your time and I'll see you next month. If you know me, you know I love a good podcast and I want to share with you my new favourite show. It's called Call the Psychiatrist and I feel that this is the sister show to Ask the Therapist. If you enjoy Ask the Therapist, you're going to love Call the Psychiatrist. It's hosted by Dr David Hanley and Dr Abby Snavely. David and Abby are both board certified psychiatrists. Abby has extensive training in psychoanalysis and has clinical expertise in reproductive psychiatry. David has clinical expertise in addiction, cognitive behavioural therapy and treating people with medical problems who have psychiatric symptoms. In each episode, they answer listeners' questions around mental health, psychiatry and therapy. Some of the episodes I've really enjoyed have been how to find the right therapist or how to know if you're having too much therapy, which I know is a really common question. And I've really enjoyed last week's episode on a very hot topic, psychedelics in psychiatry. I feel like I'm seeing this everywhere at the moment. It's a really exciting time in the field of psychiatry and mental health, but there's so much misinformation out there. So you can be guaranteed when you're listening to Abby and David that you're getting the most up-to-date research and information and are listening to a really balanced conversation. I know lots of therapists listen to my podcast and I think Call the Psychiatrist provides some really useful information so you can keep your knowledge up to date. I feel like David and Abby are really aligned with what I'm also trying to do, which is open the door to the therapy room and the world of psychiatry and share all the information, all the things we learn in our clinical practice and our training. So tune in and let me know what you think. And if you ask them a question and they happen to answer it on their show, do send me a DM so I can listen to the episode. So if you go away now and search for Call the Psychiatrist, you will know when you found it when you see a unicorn on a couch.
what's not to love about a unicorn on the couch? Thank you for listening to Ask a Therapist. For more information about the CBT Journal, visit my website at saradreese.co.uk. You can also sign up to download your free guide to building emotional resilience, delivered straight to your inbox. You will then also receive regular newsletters where I share my blog posts, podcasts, and tips and strategies for better mental health and psychological resilience. Don't forget to review and subscribe to the podcast, and you can also share episodes on social media using the hashtag AskTheTherapist. This episode was written and presented by me, Sarah Reese, and edited by Big Tent Media and produced by Emily Crosby Media.